This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, does anyone want to learn French with me? Because I've decided in 2024 that I want to learn French. And thankfully, I have Rosetta Stone. So you better hop on it so we can learn French together. Rosetta Stone has the amazing true accent feature, which is so helpful, especially in French. You get feedback on how well you're actually pronouncing words. Plus, they have 25 languages to choose from. So if you're not going to learn French with me, I'm sure you can find some other people who will learn a language with you. But I'm on the French team this year. Come on, folks, join me. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, and that's why we drink listeners, can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash drink. That's rosettastone.com slash drink. Hey, you? Hey, you. What's what's going on? Um, okay. <laughs> I tried to do a cool casual thing where I was like, oh Emma, I have something cool to say in the intro, and I've got so wigged out that now I'm feeling insecure about it. But Who got wigged out? Me? Y- yeah, you were like, okay, and now I feel like I've stepped well, on your toes. No, I, the okay was you saying, ask why I drink, which was like that was the plan. <laughs> but, I know, so but sometimes we get on a topic and then like spend 15 minutes and I I have like a, a big thing. So I want to get to it before oh, okay. we like, you know, go the wrong uh, direction. So, okay. This... Hang on. Hang on. Oh, <coughs> hey, Christine, good... why do you why do you drink? Oh, um, that's a great question. Em. Thank you so much for thinking of me. So we got this. I don't know if you've gotten this yet. I feel like you would have told me, but we got these this package is a belated birthday gift. And I don't know how often you check your mail over there, but uh, we I finally checked my mail and we got this amazing fucking birthday package. And it's from the and that's why I drink secret gift group, of course, because they're always doing things. And they were like, you all they basically said, like, you two innocently say something like we want to like make it happen. And then they like actually do. So this year, last year, they made those tarot cards. Remember this oh, year yeah. they made fucking cryptid trading cards like you said you wanted like remember we talked about baseball cards and like you were like i wish there were yeah no i remember yeah oh my gosh what do they look like lemon mascots league oh my god and they have like another whole uh thing where each each um cryptid has its own uh like player quick facts and it has uh the artist their instagram handle Oh, sorry. My baby's in the camera going, Mama, hold me. Oh. Mama, help. Hold on a second. Sorry. Is it a ghost? No, she keeps saying, Mama, help. Hold on. She probably dropped her passy. Do you go get it? Send blazing. Mommy's working. Um, Anyway. Back working to work. To, working to pay for more passies just for you. That's right. By the way, those things are like fucking socks. They disappear. And I'm like buying new ones every few weeks. Um, okay. Oh, my gosh. Okay. But by the way, the first card in the pack, this is wild because you just covered this and they would have no way of knowing. <gasps> Baba Yaga. Yo. 
right? Oh, that gave me chills. That Isn't was that, so wild. I, I turned the fl- the pack over and I was like, that's the first card that appeared. And it was, I opened it yesterday and you had just covered it. Of course, the next one is fucking bagel bites. Uh, <laughs> but there's so many cute ones. Like these are just, they're just so talented and creative. And I can't wait for you to open yours so that um, we both can have a pack. Can we talk about this? This one has you on it. It says the Eugene Emeralds. Oh, that's a that's one of uh my the, my mini my minor leagues minor league team. Oh my god, the Fredericksburg Ever Napper. It's nap o'clock somewhere. It's M wearing a shirt that says <laughs> it's nap o'clock somewhere. <laughs> it's your own baseball card. I feel like I got to read the stats for that. Hold on one second. Oh my god, oh that's my the god, most that's important so cool. one. Wow. Oh my gosh, and. So just like our tarot cards, which which we were very lucky to get from them last time, it seems like every person gets to like pick a card to make, and then yes, it builds it's like out the a individual whole deck. exactly the individual artists like add. So the Evernapper was created by Darlene, uh, she her, and uh, Darlene Blankenship is her Facebook, and uh, it says player quick facts can be found napping in the dugout. <laughs> Yep, yeah, a fucking wooden bench like laid out <laughs> best friends with the hersine shifter and hates lemons yeah. uh yeah. where can this cryptid be found fredericksburg virginia with recent spottings in los angeles may i uh make an addendum that says burbank high school campus oh please don't <laughs> say i've kidding. been found on a high school no, campus i didn't you mean it like that creep. i just meant let's just say burbank let's just say burbank uh is there a real team with this mascot not yet is what it says yeah so. yeah well i don't actually I, I thank you for telling me i did not know that i could expect that anytime soon but since i don't have anything to show on my end i will quickly show the and that's why we tarot to people yes oh uh, also genius also um, genius where and, and all, I, I oh sorry go ahead i was gonna say where all the tarot cards are the same situation i i this is an unopened one they i was lucky enough they gave us a few and this is my display one and so i haven't even opened it because if something ever happens to my other one i have (gasps) you have a backup i know i love i i I spilled a candle all over both of them so that's where i'm at yeah it's fine it's just because the box is shiny so i was able to scrape most of it off but i was like wow i really am a mess um but then as i was opening my mail this was in there what look at this fucking oil portrait (laughs) Of Giovanni oh Bernard Schieffer Lampignali. Wow. I mean, this is by the Ravios Art. I hope I'm saying that right. Um, Ravi, I think, sent it. And it, it is like stun. I mean, stunning. And I've already That's... took a bunch of photos of Gio and the portrait side oh by side. Um, and then just as like a, a little hat trick, so to speak, um, I, I've been in like a kick with my Squishmallows. Like, you know, I have Letitia Lemon Squishmallow, mm-hmm. um, whom I love. And then my brother and I did a Beach to Sandy episode where we read reviews of Squishmallows. And I got just so invested. And so the other day I took an edible and I went shopping on the internet, which is just the most dangerous game I play. <laughs> and I, I bought, oh, I forgot him downstairs. So I bought myself a little moth. And the problem was... His name is Barrett, and the problem was, it's a Canadian exclusive at only certain gas stations in Canada, and so they, so that's the only place to find them. So I had to go on like Poshmark and spend like thirty dollars on this tiny little thing. But I needed him, so he's downstairs in my bed. But um, I also bought myself this navy blue uh, Bigfoot 
Squishmallow named Danny. Oh my, she's so is, cute, and I love her. It's like a. Did comfort. you actually? Did you name her Danny? Or no, it that's came with just her name. name. Yeah. Gotcha. And then I opened my mail yesterday. And this is a Squishmallow that I said I had fallen in love with and always wanted. And somebody mailed it to me, a listener, actually. And uh, this is Avery, my mallard. Uh, (laughs) I'm very happy for you. Thank you so much. I don't understand the allure of a Squishmallow. Really? um, I understand, like, what they feel like. They feel great. Like, they're, like, sensory-wise. Yes. But um, but I've never been a collector of like any uh, like uh like stuffed animals. I just have such a as you know like a compulsion to anthropomorphize everything. Well, and I fall think, in love with it. <laughs> I think uh my thing is like I if I know there's like a wild amount of something that I could collect, then I'm either. I think half the reason is I get overwhelmed very quickly that I'm like, oh, I can never collect all of them. And two, if I tried to collect all of them, I think I would start feeling really guilty halfway like, through because take uh, over your life and money. Yeah. So like that's why I never got into like Funko Pops or anything like that. Cause I knew I knew early on that it was gonna be bad. So I, I just, just never like, very, let myself. I feel like I very specifically I don't even want to collect them. I just like grow attached to very specific ones. So I have like my little characters that I that I love. And um, if you guys have not seen Avery the Mallard, I think I genuinely think it's the funniest Squishmallow they've ever created. He has like these round eyes. He's so epic. He this does... is another Canadian. They're all Canadian, these ones. I don't know. He does look like he has seen how he's going to die and when. <laughs> You're right. He's looked into a witch's eyes and had a really traumatic experience. Can I read his little bio? It says, yeah. don't let Avery's size fool you. He is a skilled left wingman for the Mallows rugby team and one day wants to be a coach. His whole family comes to watch and they bring popsicles to celebrate once the game is over. It's like, it's like they asked a five-year-old what the bio should be, That's which it. I appreciate. I, I think they might have. Um, so, you know, I just I just love them. And um, I was so excited because this arrived yesterday, my Bigfoot squish. Um, my Barrett moth arrived yesterday. I have to bring him. I'll show him next episode because he is a delight. And then Avery arrived from fan mail. And I was like, this is the best. I'm I'm really ha- having a, a, a day crisis. I don't know. I don't think that's a midlife crisis. Thank you. I, there's no age on appreciating a good anything. Look at us. And then Letitia's <laughs> over there. So I got the whole gang. Anyway, I just wanted to uh, <laughs> throw that out there. Um, anyway, and why do you drink besides my er- erratic compulsions? Well, no, I appreciate your er- erratic compulsions because today I feel like I really threw everyone like oh gosh you did not i i didn't realize you were actually feeling guilty about that please do not i well i just i felt bad cuz i i didn't i thought we were recording a listeners episode and so i was scrambling to do notes in time but i only had like an like an hour or so to like make sure my notes look good enough for an episode i just so i, I feel like i went into a tizzy and i feel like <laughs> like uh, you know on the sidelines i put everyone else into a tizzy so which even if it's not true my brain has decided that's what happened so um well, I, I don't know if it's better or worse it. for me to tell you you're fine and it's all good and we're <laughs> we didn't Thank even you. think twice about it so i know that your brain's gonna tell you whatever it's gonna tell you but if it needs a counterpoint i'm here Oh, thank you. I do appreciate that. I will say <laughs> my um a uh, reason a good reason I drink um my uh blah, blah, blah. hmm let's find something. What's going on in my life? 
Uh, oh, I found, rem- uh, as you might recall, uh, the escape room that I made oh, yeah. you forever ago. Uh, I apparently, after you left, I just like shoved it all in the back of a closet and like, but I recently have been going through my stuff and cleaning up that closet. Oh, like the physical escape room. I thought you meant the, the online one. No, no, no. On the, uh, if you follow Patreon, you might've seen it a few years ago for Christine and Eva. I made them I a, made like. I made like room. the most unhinged activity ever, and then I turned around and made it the most unhinged YouTube video of all time. So it's a great really, video. I still watch it sometimes. It's crazy <laughs> town. Like even I screaming a fish. It, like I will never forget <laughs> that moment. But um, I turned I turned my apartment into an escape room, um, and I <laughs> it it's, it's a great video. If you're a part of Patreon, please go watch it. Um, but I just found all of the like. 15 treasure chests with like combination locks all super glued to them like i just found like a whole bunch of stuff but it has um i was trying to figure out locks <laughs> i was trying to figure out how to like reuse them and so i've i feel like i'm about to have an artsy moment oh. um, like i found here's one uh oh i don't know if i could show it to you i remember i like i found like the um like a mag, I found out ways to like make magnet. Yes, I was that. That was the one where I was so stupid. I was like, M needed to like break character and be like, use the fucking magnet, idiot. And I was like, okay. So it's called safety first. I think this is for babies. Is like a it baby is. Lock. It's I, I now I see them everywhere and I have them and I'm like, wow, I was really dumb back then. But yeah, it's like you. It was pre baby. You didn't unlock. know. It was pre baby. But yes. so I, fa- I like this was they had a. Christine had to find this first and then mm-hmm. there was a box that had an X marks a spot and then you had to use this to unlock the box and <laughs> so it became a whole thing but I I recently found it again and I'm like ooh how do I use this again in my life I'm very excited so I I the reason I drink is I feel like I feel a creativity burst about to I'm happen. so excited that's honestly uh to me one of the best feelings when you get on that kick of like I have a project and I have a a goal and something a vision, a creative vision. I love that feeling. <laughs> I love a vision. <sighs> Me too. Well, anyway, uh, that's why I drink. What are you drinking before we get oh, into this? Oh, um, you know what? This is going to shock everyone. I'm drinking water. What Whoa. the fuck? <laughs> wow. Don't crash your car. I know that's startling, but um, <laughs> I am drinking water for the first time ever on this show. So cheers. <laughs> congratulations in a, in a big so stanley much. in a stanley because apparently i'm a basic bitch and i watched one tiktok two years ago and was like i need that what is wrong with I, me is it a, the 40 ounce mm. it's a big one i feel it's like the one, isn't the 40 ounce the big one i don't know it's probably it's the one that's always on teacher talk <laughs> i know i was gonna make fun of you for being a teacher but i didn't know if that was too niche but i just love okay. teacher talk and know. so i just sometimes end up there well speaking of teachers i am apparently the child because i'm drinking juice boxes mm. i have sorry i didn't orange, ask i was busy hydrating i have orange lava burst and torrential tropical punch oh so. yum i like high C. I miss that stuff I love high C and I've been recently making it uh useful with mocktails. Oh so that's fun. Yeah, I've been loving it. Okay, I just went to a wedding and this was the first time I'd seen this. And uh, you know how they have like the couple each has like a cocktail, like his and hers cocktail, like mm-hmm. custom cocktail. So hers was like a um a mojito, and then his was a mocktail. And I was like, oh, that's great, because he doesn't drink, I guess. So I was like, oh, that's so fun. His custom drink was a mocktail. And I was with a girl 
who just told me she was pregnant. And so I was like, oh, my God, this is like the best wedding. She got all these like cute blueberry lemonades because she was like, I never get to have like a cocktail, a mocktail, you know, out like a pretty drink. So uh, she was very excited. And I was like, that's such a clever idea to have like a custom mocktail at your wedding. That's so lovely. Yeah, I was really into that. I uh, I mean, man, I wasn't because I didn't want it, but I was into <laughs> it for everyone else. <laughs> I wonder if you could spike it, though, if you could have like... Oh, the for sure. Just like add something to it. I just put some vodka in there for sure. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, uh, now that we know what we're drinking and why, uh, reminder to stay hydrated and drink some water, everybody. Mm-hmm. This is your weekly reminder. I can finally something. follow the rules. <laughs> so proud and, of myself. And with that, we've got um, scary story. Well, that's. I, I don't know how scary mine are. I feel like yours are definitely the scarier ones because they're more based in reality. But a lot of I've people got... can't listen to the your hat. Like, I feel like a lot of people are like too scared of the ghost stuff, which is really. Yeah. People have I told me like... that. Oh, interesting. I feel like yeah. a lot of people only listen to your half. <laughs> I don't I feel like... think so. I genuinely don't think so. <laughs> like... I feel like I feel like. I mean, I don't want there to be a poll out there. I'm not trying to like imply no, anything no, no, to everybody. No, no, no. We don't want to know. <laughs> but I don't like. I don't actually want to know. But I feel like we're part of the true crime podcast community. I feel like people it's really fair. come for the true crime, and I feel like I'm just kind of like an additive if people want something else. I feel like, like it's stay for come for the true crime, stay for all the ghosts. But some people no. But uh, that to be fair though, a lot of people do see our logo and are like, oh my god, Ouija board. Like they come for the spooky stuff, you know? Maybe, but they see Ouija board covered in blood, you know. listen i don't want peanut butter and jelly some people like peanut butter some people like jelly i just think some people like jelly a little more than the peanut butter that's all i like both together so you know that's me being the people pleaser always that's that's very nice okay well for those who do listen to my half hello uh it's about to begin (laughs) hello you're acting (laughs) like nobody's ever listened to you talk before hello i'm finally here By now, you've probably heard about Burrow, a new kind of furniture company known for timeless designs, durable materials, and details that make life in your space easier. Last year, they brought their expertise outside with the launch of their outdoor line, which I love, and now they're adding more must-have pieces to the collection. For example, Dunes offers seating, dining, and lounger options, while Scout is a new folding chair upholstered in a chic woven fabric. And I think I'm going to get two of those for the balcony. Blaze and I love to sit out there in the evenings after Leona goes to bed. And I love the idea of having a good-looking but also extremely useful and comfy place to sit outside. Made of durable materials made for all seasons, weather-resistant teak, stainless alloy, and quick-dry stain-resistant cushions with easy assembly and disassembly this is the perfect thing for your outdoor space they also just launched a new standing desk co-pilot with adjustable height a durable scratch resistant body with built-in storage to make working at home easier than ever i'm in the market for a new desk um, so this is definitely going to be my next bookmark and of course there's burrow's legacy seating collections like the nomad and range now available in new colors and m and i that's like the only piece of furniture i think we actually share is our burrow sofa in the podcast department love that thing and that's why we drink listeners can get 15% off their first order at burrow.com slash drink. That's burrow, B-U-R-R-O-W dot com slash drink for 15% off. Burrow.com slash drink. 
it feels very fitting that Juniper is currently sitting on my lap uh, because we all want our cats to be healthy and happy because when they're happy, we're happy. But because we're not mind readers, we don't always know when they're unwell. And in my experience, cats are not the most, you know, open when it comes to sharing their woes. And there goes Junie, literally jumped right off me. So helping us keep tabs on our cat's health is just one reason you should use Pretty Litter. Pretty Litter's ultra absorbent crystals trap odor instantly. No more cat bathroom smell, thank God. Pretty Litter's super light crystal base also minimizes mess and dust. Plus, the crystals last up to a month, which means less scooping and fewer trips to the garbage can for Blaze, because that's his job. Here's the coolest thing about Pretty Litter. It changes colors to help monitor early signs of potential illness in our cats, including urinary tract infections and kidney issues, and Pretty Litter ships free right to your door in a small, lightweight bag. Pretty Litter has changed the game. The litter box is right near Leona's room, and so it is very delightful to not have that litter smell all the time when she's taking a nap. Plus, we can rest easy knowing that Juniper and his little kidneys are healthy. Pretty Litter helps keep tabs on my cat's health and keeps odors down. You and your cat are going to love Pretty Litter as much as we do. Go to prettylitter.com slash ATWWD and use code ATWWD to save 20% on your first order. That's prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD to save 20%. Prettylitter.com slash ATWWD, code ATWWD. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Here is a, a biopic of John Daryl, who uh, is now considered one of the most fraudulent exorcists of England. <gasps> oh, this is a true crime. Yeah. See, am I stepping on toes? Let's find out. <laughs> so he was born, this guy's John Daryl. He was born in 1562. Cool. Uh, and he was born in England. And it's a town in Nottinghamshire, which I know I'm saying in the most so bastardized way. Nottinghamshire. Um, Nottinghamshire. Do they say Shire or Sure? Oh, wait. Nottinghamshire. Nottinghamshire. Notting- Nottinghamshire. Cheshire. Like Hampshire. Like New Hampshire? New Hampshire? Nottinghamshire. Notting- well, maybe Hampshire. they say New Hampshire. Wow. If they were listening before, they're not now. So, you had um... six ghost-loving people in England, <laughs> and they've all left. So fucking hell, you're losing all our ghost-based listeners. I like to think they have their own like nickname for a town like that with so many letters. Like, do they just call themselves like Enshire, N H S? I doubt it because I feel like that's probably a really common ending for these towns. So you'd have to do something more like specific. The knot. We're the naughty knots. You know. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. So that's where he was born in cool. uh, 1562, <laughs> and then 15... he would not have understood any word of what we just said. By the way, like if he traveled in time and like witness this conversation like most of the words he probably wouldn't even understand what was happening it's weird to think about that is weird wow well like i'm gonna actively even when i keep saying like he'd be like what are you i don't know he would think we all have a tick that's true we probably do he was born in 1562 and in 1579 he graduated uh, from queen's college and he was planning to study law in London, but that did not work out. He was born in the midst of the uh, Protestant Reformation when mm. England was splitting from the Catholic Church, and he was an Anglican. Mm. And some Anglicans, including him, became Puritans because he thought that the Protestant Church was still too Catholic and wanted they wanted stricter reforms. So, What is wrong um, with those people? But okay, sure. So he leaned toward Puritanism very, very hard um, and loved how strict uh, he was. That's excellent. Mm-hmm. And he gained a reputation 
as somewhat of an unofficial spiritual leader. But by 1586, there was already talks of either witchcraft or demonic possession going on. And there was a rumor that there was a girl in town named Catherine Wright, and she was possessed. Oh, no. Um, Her neighbor recommended getting help from John because he, you know, was a good, strict, pious man. And reminder, he does not have, like, any qualifications regarding demonic possession. He's not gone to be a reverend, right? Like, he's just part of the religion. He's just strong with God. So they were like, he will do. Okay, okay. So John goes to Catherine's house to pray and expel the demons from her (laughs) but it did not work can you believe it because he again had no qualifications uh his excuse was that the demons were just too powerful Uh, and sure he declares that the demons could not be acting alone so now again completely off the handle no qualifications to suggest this he goes oh the demons they're not acting alone obviously there's a witch in town that's causing this obviously there's no other explanation so to help Catherine, John demands, I guess he's like, I'm still in this with you, but I don't know, a witch is at fault. He decides he's going to help Catherine and demands that she stays awake and fasts and prays up to three, three days at a time. So for three days, no food, Ugh. no sleep, just praying. Um, during her fast, she allegedly accuses another woman of practicing witchcraft. And so, and this woman's name is Margaret Roper. Okay. Um, and I mean, keep in mind, again, she was sleep deprived. She was starving. She was losing her mind. Mm. So uh, out of desperation, probably, she just said Margaret Roper's name, which we've talked about it a million times. We yeah. are not the only people to think about this, but it is wild that just any name that came to someone's mind they're now a victim of this too it it could be someone you like someone you know your own parent like it especially if you're being tortured which i'm not necessarily saying that's what's happening but she's at least being coerced into a a very bad place Mm -hmm. well so she said margaret roper's name and this was a time this was by the way a time when there was only like bad magic currently that that could be illegal like they still had some people practicing good magic or oh, sure. not everyone was burned at the stake for witchcraft it was only if you were doing harm to others okay um it gets worse though i'm in the future but I was gonna it, say at this yeah, point, look out good witches <laughs> at this point in time it's just if it just mm-hmm. bad magic um so apparently Margaret is the reason that Catherine is possessed and Margaret must have sent the demons over for what we don't know. <laughs> and John not only wanted to get rid of these demons in Catherine, but decided that the law needed to be involved. Oy vey. Of course. Uh, this is where I give everyone a very quick fun history fact, which is that in 1562, uh, which ironically I think is the year he was born. Yeah, look at that. That's 1562. Right. <laughs> Queen Elizabeth I passed the Act Against Conjurations, Enchantments, and Witchcrafts. Boy, uh, which, this is where I also remind you when I worked at Chipotle, uh, the recipe book was called like Spells, Potions, and Incantations. And so, <gasps> Conjurations, Enchantments, and Witchcrafts sounds very similar. <laughs> they ripped that off from Chipotle. 
They did. I don't know if that's like something that people aren't supposed to know, but the recipe book at Chipotle is literally. I didn't know that. At least the one at mine was. I don't know. For all I know, they just like slipped it in like the top Your of the binder. Your friend just did it for fun. <laughs> but I, I have the. I've never seen another recipe book from That's Chipotle. So really fun. I actually really like that. Thank you. I'll tell Chipotle. <laughs> okay. So Queen Elizabeth passed this act, and it was the predecessor to the Scottish Witchcraft Act of 1603, and it helped move witchcraft legislation from the church to the general courts. So. It was making things a legal matter. Mm. And this act created a two-strike system where the first time you're caught per- performing witchcraft, or at least at this time bad witchcraft, it was a felony that ended in a harsh Ooh. prison sentence. And then oh the second time you get caught, you are put to death. Oh, Lord. Okay. If the crime was bad enough, or if you had someone like pretty aggressively against you and had some sort of power or say in this, they would just skip the felony and you would just be put to death on the first strike. Oh my God. Okay. That just seems like so unfair. And so, um, I mean, why am I shocked? I don't know. Circumstantial. Yeah. 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 Or like, uh, what do you subjective. call it? When, subjective. It's so subjective. So if it was bad enough to someone, you could just be put to death. Great. Knowing this, John, the Puritan, (laughs) made made a formal accusation against Margaret and attempted to have her prosecuted, but it it failed, at least. Um, In fact, I don't know what Margaret, I don't know how she had her hands playing in this, but not only did they deny John to prosecute Margaret, but the courts dismissed John and even threatened to throw him in prison for false accusations. Oh, oh, wow. That you don't see that very often. No. So I was I don't know how like maybe he accidentally went and told like Margaret's husband about this or something. And right. I, yeah. Maybe someone she knows was involved with the courts or maybe he was just like so obviously like a skis bag. And maybe was he was. Like, no. Yeah. Maybe they were like, oh, this fucking guy, you know. But, like, how many times do you ever see, like, a town defend a woman from witchcraft accusations? Literally never. She must have been incredible. Like, I would say, he must have picked the wrong gal to go after. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, to be fair, I'm sure other women are I was going to say, not that they were incredible. But but this woman had some sort of advantage. So Maybe it was witchcraft. (laughs) Like, maybe it's a full circle. She was like, I'll fucking hex the shit out of you, asshole. That would have been amazing if the only woman to get away was actually a witch. And right? Bewitched the entire town to just not saying. know otherwise. Just saying. So John decides to forget about Margaret and she, he's like, okay, this is a dead end. But Catherine is still possessed, you know, no. even if I think it's Margaret's fault. Too bad. Whatever. It's Catherine's still possessed. So I obviously have to exercise her. And this, I want to <laughs> remind everyone. <laughs> I want to remind everyone, he's already exercised her and it didn't work. Um, So this is now round two of him saying, I'm going to save her. This time, uh, it did not fail. Although I like to think that he probably just started telling everybody it was working because God forbid he failed twice. Um, In two weeks. Sorry. First time around, it did not work even a little bit. This time around, he expels eight demons from her in two weeks oh my god i think by doing the exact same steps as the last time i can't imagine he has a lot of variety to him um 
So his imagination doesn't seem to be like at the forefront of his personality. No, he's like, this time it'll work. Just just trust me, bro, is the source. Oh, God. Hold my beer. So then he skips town and lays low to avoid the magistrate because that was the guy who told him I'm going to like, right. You know, you're, you're in trouble. If you do anything else about this, I will imprison you for false accusations. Right. So that freaked him out enough that after he handled Catherine's exorcism, he just like left town. He was like, I don't want to be near this guy. I don't want to get caught with anything. See ya. This, though, unfortunately cemented his reputation in town as an actual spiritual advisor because he saved Catherine. And John was later ordained as a minister in another town. Of course. Uh, And eventually he would start telling his congregation that the devil was everywhere. And when he means everywhere, he doesn't just mean like, oh, the devil is with all of us and trying to, you know, mess with our thoughts and cause us to sin he meant like the physical devil is around and like walking around just like hiding Um, out yeah just peeking around every corner um okay i don't know who who believed that or who didn't but i mean okay it's hard to disprove that you know it's like uh, (laughs) no he's not well you just can't he just you he just missed him he's just really stealthy and no one has ever caught him sneaky that motherfucker you'll never (laughs) spot him but i can right i was gonna say but he obviously has special relationship had hangouts with this guy yeah john didn't do um another exorcism until the magistrate died because that now he was finally off his back so now he's not scared anymore and he's like okay great i'm gonna go back to exorcisms and i'm gonna go back to (laughs) saving people okay he finally settles in this town that has been shortened to the name Ashby, but I think it was called Ashby de las de la Zouch. Ooh. But it, it's been shortened to Ashby. And in 1596, this is when he really ramps it back up and he's like, I am here to fix some possessed people. <laughs> and 13 year old Thomas Darling what goes an hunting. adorable name. Thomas Darling. It sounds like a fairy tale. Oh, because it is the name of the family in Peter Pan, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I think. Wendy Darling. No, you're right. Uh, Thomas Darling, 13 years old, he goes hunting in the woods with his uncle one day. And apparently him and his uncle get separated at some point. Um, And when they're reunited, the uncle says that Thomas is now starting to suffer from fits. (gasps) Um very vague very but apparently by the time he gets home he is vomiting hallucinating apparently he's seizing he says that he can he says that he can see a green cat in his room that won't let him sleep that's terrifying oh he also sees angels in the window calls job from the bible his brother and Uh he starts speaking to god by saying heaven opens heaven opens i must go thither not hither thither thither Hither and thither. <laughs> hither and thither. I see Christ Jesus, my Savior. His Uh-oh. face shines like the sun in its strength. I will go salute him. And then he like starts clapping out of like excitement that he can see Jesus. Ooh, this is not feeling good mental health wise. Nope. Thomas's family thought he must be bewitched, which I love that like he's literally seeing God. <laughs> this, right. It feels like this it's religious. A- family isn't like excited for him i was wondering that too like i see jesus like wouldn't that be the thing you're like oh good phew 
It's like, oh, okay. So you're on the of you're, all people, you're, you're going see. the right direction. Yeah. Um, I guess the vomiting, seizing, and hallucinating was uh, probably a lot. And sure, I don't know anywhere in the Bible it says, "Oh, the green cat won't let me go to bed." <laughs> so, um, poor thing. This is sad. So his family is uh nervous for him, and they think he's bewitched, and they call a local doctor. <laughs> The doctor, I don't know, like, there's so many points in this story where I'm like, oh, they were doing the right thing because they call a local doctor and the doctor's like, he's not, he's, he has an illness that's causing these symptoms, but there's nothing. So like they've, the town has protected a woman. The magistrate went after (laughs) a a preacher or a pastor for these naughty naughties. And then the doctor was like, he is not the witch. He just has, he has a sickness that needs to be looked at. He has a condition, but oh. he's not being possessed. I mean, that's good, good-ish. I, I don't feel good about the rest of your story, but it's it's good. There's at least points that I usually don't it's get to talk s- about. Yeah, it's a different, a little bit different than usual. So the doctor's like, everyone, like, chillax. It's fine. <laughs> he's he just like, we need to take him to a hospital. Um, but Thomas goes... No, mama, which I'm assuming that's how he spoke. But he says, <laughs> thither and no, thither. <laughs> thither and thither, mama. I actually am indeed bewitched. Um, oh, no. And for some reason, they've listened to the 13-year-old boy and not the doctor. But Thomas tells his whole family he is bewitched. And this is why he's bewitched, Christine. Uh-oh. It's because he, when he was out in the woods, he got separated from his uncle. He runs into a witch. <gasps> the witch is in a gray dress with three warts on her face and as she walked by he say it with me farted what um, <laughs> what what double take <laughs> she walks by he crop dusts her but i guess not because it's <laughs> it's loud enough that she hears it uh-oh and she's so offended that she <gasps> says with a mischief and fart with a bell, I will go to heaven and you will go to hell. Oh, is that her little hex? I was going to say, I was like, even if that wasn't a witch, she's still spoken rhymes, which I oh love. Oh, my. Um, and also, if you're a witch, you're not going to heaven, I thought. So, like, your rhyme didn't even yeah, make sense. Yeah, you're lying, I think. So, this is just a someone who likes to rhyme. I think she was just in the middle of, like, trying to, like, learn to, like, rap battle. Rap? Know? I was going to say that! <laughs> I will say um, the beginning of that rhyme. She did call him a slur, which I'm not going to use. Oh, um, so I just—if you're wondering why it sounded offbeat, it's because it I—I missed a little step there. Um, oh, but no. the fact that she says you have a fart—a fart like a bell—that's crazy. That's ding. so. Say it again <laughs> without say say it again because I, I misunderstood it. I think because I didn't understand the. So uh, maybe can you say like blank where the slur goes? Yes. Um, hmm. How do I give you a different definition for what it means? Um, oh, I don't know. I can't even begin to imagine what a slur was in the 1500s, to be honest. So it's it wasn't a slur then. It's a slur now. Oh, and it was um, the G word. Let me text it to you. No, okay. I don't want to text that word either. Um, uh, what do I do? <laughs> can you um, can you text it but space out the letters so our NSA agent doesn't know what's going on? Uh, that feels weird. Um, it starts with a 
G and ends with a Y. It's not gay. It's um <laughs> Oh, I got uh, it. I got 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 it. So like a what you would call like a a Romani person. Yes. Like yes. an offensive slur for somebody of that culture. Okay. Yes. How did you figure it out? You just I typed in <laughs> slurs that start with G. Oh, okay. Um, I don't recommend doing that, guys. It's I'm not proud of it, like I'll be honest. Um Anyway, so a slur, and then I'm just going to go beep as the slur. Okay. Okay, so this is what the witch said to Thomas after he, like, blasted ass. He goes, <laughs> <laughs> you hear, bleep, with a mischief and fart with a bell. I will go to heaven and you will go to hell. Got it. Okay, 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 okay. Um, hmm. I, I don't know why she even picked that word for him, but okay. Um, anyway, after this interaction, then, you know, he met up with his uncle and he had these fits. Um, but Thomas quickly gains fame from this possession and later becomes known as the boy of Burton. Okay. Uh, John was called in to help and he instructed Thomas to fast and pray for many days. So he's pulling the same stops out. He's, he's like not doing anything original. But it worked for Catherine, so it must work for him. I mean, it must. And like Catherine, after days of no sleep and no food, Thomas accuses a local woman of witchcraft. Oh, boy. Go figure. Go figure. He accuses Alice Goodridge. And Alice was an easy target because her mom had also been accused before of witchcraft. So the town had wondered before that maybe Alice is also involved in all this. What is wrong with these people? And also, he's a 13-year-old boy. He must have heard the name around the house or something. Or That's maybe true. his own, Maybe his own, um, like, school friends or something. They've been or like, gossiping have you heard about or Alice? something. Yeah. So Alice was brought to Thomas's room. I don't know why. Um, I guess just to see if the witch would be able to approach the possessed. <sighs> I don't know. Like, but we'll Thomas, see what would happen. Yeah. Uh, and Thomas, just by looking at her, falls into fits. Uh, oh gosh, he... she starts farting around. <laughs> Motherfucker. I know what you're up to, little kid. I know. You're Alice trouble. shows Alice shows up and Thomas, I guess I guess if if she is the witch that it, that caused these possessions in him, he by looking at her freaked out and started scratching her and attacking <gasps> her and trying to make her bleed. Ew. Um and she screams, "Take blood, enough, child. God help thee." Pray for thyself. Thy prayer can do me no good. Okay. okay. What does it mean? <laughs> I don't know because I don't speak old English, man. <laughs> I was take, like, I thought take, I got it. Then I didn't. Then I did. Take blood enough. Ch- See, this is something that like maybe like if you're an English teacher out there, maybe just take a whole day where you like help children understand how to read this. Because yeah, then they I hit feel 31. Like they did, and it was called that, Shakespeare. And I still don't understand what the fuck it is was going called on. the Canterbury Tales. I um, mean, don't remind me. That. That's a very triggering f- phrase you just said. <laughs> Grendel. Right? Now, how do you feel? Grendel was rough. Beowulf Grendel was rougher. Was rough. uh, pray for thyself. Thy prayer can do me no good. Okay, so pray pray for yourself because... Oh, oh, you're right. Okay. Oh, wait, I do get it. So it's like, Bye, pray prayer. for yourself. I, like, you're not going to fix me. I don't need any fixing. You're the one who needs help. You're making me bleed over here. 
if you are an English teacher and there is writing like this, you need to bring Christine in to translate. Um, she just did a <laughs> to great the job. Youths. I'll be like, it's lit the way you just. <laughs> <laughs> Me and my fucking Stanley. I'm going to be like, um, hello. Yo. Uh, I don't know. I literally can't even pretend like I know any cool words anymore. So sad. Uh, so tragic. Well, tragic. Uh <laughs> So Alice was arrested for what? Like for, for what? I guess for witchcraft, but she didn't. She was the one that was attacked. She was like, yo, why are you making me bleed? And so they interrogate her. And when they're interrogating her, the prosecutors find witch marks on her body, which yikes, because witch marks could mean, oh, they found like Thomas like scratched her up and this is indications True. of like his possession. But historically, witch marks are when um, the courts make a woman undress so mm -hmm. they can find one blemish on her and claim that it is proof of her being a witch. I just want all these men to get naked and be like, look at my fucking porcelain skin. Yeah, right. You fucking show <laughs> your smooth, flawless skin, you idiot. Like, truly, like, it could be a freckle. It could be, it, Like, you a know, freckle, any... like a skin tag. Like, I mean, what are you talking about? And it's a sign that you're a witch. So, basically, if you are not 100% perfect to their beauty standards, you're a witch. Are we and surprised? And even if you are, they'll, a little boy will scratch you and leave a scar, and now you are a fucking witch. So, you can't <laughs> exactly. win. Exactly. You could be perfect, and then guess what? That must be witchcraft, because nobody's That's perfect. That's true, too. Like, oh, she must be hiding them. You think if you're a witch, you could like get rid of your third nipple or like your skin tag or your right, cellulite? Right, exactly. If I had the magic to make like myself, if I knew look perfect, that that would be, would. yeah, if that would be a problem, and I knew like, oh, they're gonna find uh, this scar and Sam a witch. I can't. I just hex that away. I don't like, know. Like, did did nobody even think like if there was a witch around here, they would hex all of us to not let That's, us figure that out? That gets me every time. I'm like, why do you feel like you, if it were witchcraft, that you'd be able to overpower her? Like, it doesn't make sense. Yeah, why would you be able to outsmart a magical being? Yes! Because they're men, I guess. And they men just are literally so fucking stupid. I'm so sorry. fucking stupid. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't not know. All just men. A just not a all theory. Men. <laughs> just all the ones that burned women and also stood along and let men burn women. Oh, but whatever. Sick. Sick. You know who wasn't that goddamn magistrate who defended Margaret yeah. Roper at the beginning He's like, of this? Wait a minute. If she were a witch, fine. You're right. Not all men. Just one from 1562, apparently. <laughs> um, okay. So, all men except that magistrate guy. Yeah. Uh, may he rest in peace. R.I.P. So she was accused of witchcraft because you know because why i don't not? know she had a birthmark and then <sighs> she was forced to confess and claim to have cursed thomas in the woods after he rudely called her a witch yeah because she was tortured into it mm -hmm. I'm assuming. and alice okay. was sentenced to be executed of course of course but she died in prison first so was that better or worse than what we were expecting uh <laughs> Thomas's family believes that John Darrell's uh, guidance was instrumental in exercising not just one demon from Thomas, but two. So wow! And apparently, the names of these demons were uh -huh. Glass, Glass Up, Glass Up, and Rodolphus. <laughs> Which, like, Sorry. where did That's those my names come favorite from? Favorite demon ever, Rodolphus. <laughs> Rodolphus, imagine the squishable. Rodolphus, the red-nosed demon. Yeah, exactly. 
I am the imagining darling. the squishable, and I'm gonna get it. Squishable. Would it be a, a mallard or like a Maryland <laughs> blue crab? Like demon Maryland blue crab. <laughs> so random. <laughs> okay, Squishable, if you're listening, we would like Rodolphus the Maryland blue crab, please. <laughs> oh God, help me. So it's thank God to for for John Daryl says Thomas's family because they <laughs> helped relinquish Thomas from Glassop and Rodolphus. <laughs> but the Darling family loudly credits John uh, as Thomas's savior and. Uh, this helps him become much more of a renowned exorcist. Later, John was asked to help exorcise seven other people. And by the way, all seven of these people were possessed at the exact same time, apparently. Wow, how convenient. They all farted in the woods. It was crazy. Um, (laughs) If seven people fart in the woods, can you hear it? What's that? (laughs) I don't know if they could all hear it, but they're all possessed now. You're all smelling it, though. Yeah, exactly. What if it was just one that was it was powerful enough it smelled like seven people, and now everyone's afraid Oof. to like figure out who it was, you know? Point at the right part, the the actual culprit. Yeah. So he exercises all seven of these people, and apparently successfully saves six of them. He's a but, busy man. Uh oh. But he he couldn't save thirty year old Jane uh, because she was a Catholic. You know how oh. that is. Shit. You know Trigger that is. warning. M. But. Uh, by this time, John Daryl has risen to absolute fame because he's had a near success rate, unless you're a dirty Catholic, apparently. <laughs> and in 1597, the town council reaches out to him to help with another guy. And this guy's name is William Summers. So John did not get involved at first with William Summers. He instead sent instructions to other ministers to handle it. But I guess mm. they didn't know how to make William fast and pray quite like john could nobody nobody can he's nobody could nobody could tell him don't eat like john could that's true Um, i I always say that about him so then the mayor calls john and begs for help and he's like you got to get in there nobody knows how to do this like you can so william's possession was like one of the most exciting things to come out of this town in a while and crowds were literally gathering at his house and looking into his windows to watch him have like full suffering events oh my god he's probably having like a legitimate medical event like a seizure and they were like ah yeah and they're all just like fighting to have like the best seat by the window to like watch him disturbing people really just had to be so goddamn bored in the 1500s i mean like like just accuse people of witchcraft just to see what will happen kill them for fun watch them have seizures and not actually call a doctor spend many 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 months perfecting like some ridiculous torture implement shaped like a wheel with like spokes i mean the amount of time they had on their hands to come up with this shit like deeply disturbing explore new possibilities pleasure zones and find your vibe at funlove.com Funlove.com is a leading online retailer of sensual health and wellness products, offering a wide array of premier brands of toys, lingerie, and accessories. I know I've talked about it before, but we received the most lovely gift basket from Funlove. First of all, I didn't know what it was at first, and then when I pulled out a vibrator, I thought, oh boy, this is not your everyday fruit basket. 
there was everything I'm telling you from sexy perfumes to toys to vibrators to lube. I mean, I gotta say, it's like a one-stop shop, okay? If you go to funlove.com and you're looking for maybe a romantic evening, either with a loved one or with yourself, they've got what you're looking for, I can promise you. So what are you waiting for? Explore, discover, indulge, and make love fun by visiting funlove.com. And if you live in Arizona or Colorado, check out one of their 18 store locations. Hey, maybe I'll stop by when I'm in town. And for a limited time, you can save 30% off your first order when you use the code DRINK at funlove.com. Head to funlove.com today and use code DRINK at checkout to save 30% off your first order. Visit funlove.com today. You know when you've got the holidays, the new year, and then all of a sudden it's sort of back to the grind? Especially if you run a small business, it can be really hard to get back into the swing of things, but Stamps.com is here to make that a little bit easier for you. Stamps.com streamlines all your mailing and shipping to turbocharge your operational efficiencies. For 25 years now, Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses, whether they're mailing out checks, invoices, legal documents, books, podcast branded koozies, maybe that's just us, or anything else. Get access to the USPS and UPS mailing services you need to run your business right from your computer anytime, day or night. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. And with rates you can't find anywhere else, like up to, get this, 89% off USPS and UPS, how could you go wrong? We have loved Stamps.com for years, not quite 25, but since we started the podcast, which was 2017, and we could not get by without it. I remember there were days where we didn't have Stamps.com, those I call the dark ages, and I was hand shipping everything and driving it on my lunch break to the post office. It was all very hectic. Stamps.com, I do it straight from my house, and it makes my life a trillion times easier. Keep your mailing and shipping moving at the speed of your business with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code DRINK for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. Just go to stamps.com, click the microphone at the top of the page, and enter code DRINK. The crowds were, I mean, they were truly gathering, which is why I think the mayor was like, you need to fix this, John (laughs) Darrell, because it's becoming a frenzy over here. So uh, John personally oversaw William's fasting and prayer until the fits ceased, which... Like I said, no one can do it like him. (laughs) And John first declared that he was cured, but it came with some bad news. Uh Uh-oh. His fits and his possession, the cure was not permanent, and they would be back. (gasps) Um, And even worse news, William Summers' possession was not caused by anything he had done, but by the sinful nature of the townspeople. Oh, no, it's all their fucking fault. All these it's... fucking audience members are now in trouble. Uh-oh. And because of this, uh, William would be possessed by the devil again in the near future, unless the townspeople change their ways. What a manipulative way to prophesize to to, uh, to an entire town. It's like, you're, it, you're all at fault for this guy being possessed. It's, like, kind of genius. And I feel like saying also, like, oh, uh, it's not a permanent fix is also genius you know he's like building yeah. in future work for himself he's like I'll, I'll be back when it when i need another paycheck i guess exactly and uh pretty much he says it's all your fault even if like you're all going to church all the time it's your fault and he i guess because he was waiting for the fits to come back which i wonder if like he had spoken to a doctor recently and he was like oh when people have seizures like maybe like or i don't know if it's i was wondering that same thing like maybe he knew it would like 
be a recurrent thing. Like Which makes thing. it even sicker that like he it knew totally. that this could be a medical condition and instead of telling a doctor, he was like, I'm just going to wait for the next time he has an episode. Exactly. And I had that same I'll... exact thought. Yeah. So that, I guess, assuming that's what's going on here, um, he knew that he'd have to be back. And so he got a job in town waiting around for William Summers to have another episode. He gets a job as a preacher in town, but none of the like residents want to go to his church because he just blamed all of them yeah, for being... Yeah, wait a second. No shit. Like, I wonder if he thought it was going to go the now. other way, though, of like, I can lead you to Christ and I can lead you away from being dirty sinners, you know? He's like, but I, like, he's going to c- create the problem and then be like, but I'm the only, and I'm the only one who can solve it. This guy, yeah. he has a Classic. business mindset. Yeah. Classic businessman. Classic narcissist. Classic narcissist, for sure. Um. So the townspeople are like not totally stoked that he's in town (laughs) however william was possessed again just like john predicted and he had an episode um but now people are not convinced i think because there was already that seed of doubt after like being told that it was their fault Uh like i mean even townspeople who like hadn't done any didn't even know this guy it was their fault whatever so they were all kind of on the skeptical side now and when william started having fits again they all kind of started noticing things like the main one was that William, his episodes had bathroom breaks. Um, basically, Thomas never soiled himself in the middle of his fits, which was usually a symptom of a possessed person where like they couldn't control <laughs> so themselves. Like, Hang on, I got to pee real quick. And so he would like have like episodes and then all of a sudden just like shift personality or shift behavior so he could get up and walk to the bathroom, go to the bathroom, come back oh, and then continue my his fitness. Which like how did we not notice this before? Yeah, nobody noticed that he had to pee half the time. I this is very weird. It I feel like that's the power of I don't know what the what the, what the right word is, but it's interesting when you want to believe something so bad you won't notice obvious things like that until all yeah. of a sudden you've woken up a little bit. But yeah, um, yeah, they just apparently never noticed before. People see what they want to see, you know. Yeah, and uh, they also did the like the classic pins in your hands and feet when you're unconscious to see if you respond test. Classic, (laughs) the classic. And Thomas kept reacting, so he. Oh gosh! Obvious, like you're not supposed to feel it if you're truly possessed, and he was responding like he could feel it. And William accused various local women of witchcraft and being the cause of all of this. I wonder if he went from like the whole town to like just the women. Just we all the hate women. them. We just we, hate I still them, need right? men in my my congregation. I need yeah. someone in my congregation. But if we blame the women, that'd be easy because we're already blaming women for everything, right? Easy. So he tried to blame the women, but none of those accusations stuck either. So I wonder if all the the husbands were like, uh uh uh, I don't think so. <laughs> And William ultimately confessed uh, that he faked his entire possession. And it was because he was following John's instructions. Oh, I was like, for what? Aha. Ding, ding, ding. Interesting. Interesting. motherfucker. I mean, they did get like alone personal time where John was the only one in the room telling him what to do, you know? So, um... I wonder if John like just wanted to make a name for himself in another town after the last town he went to. I don't know what the deal was, but apparently they were in cahoots with each other. Okay, so he found a, a somebody willing to do his bidding in this new town. Okay, mm-hmm. 
And people called on the Archbishop of Canterbury, of Canterbury Tales. Hey, famously, famously. To launch an investigation on John because they were like, this is horseshit. Um, How would they say that in Old English, Christine? This is horseshit. Thither is is horseshit. Thank you for for asking. Yeah, yeah. So they launched an investigation on him, and a chaplain named Samuel Harsnet was put on the case, and he hated household exorcisms. He, like, did not trust them. So he is in charge of investigating John, which, loving this. Loving it. And Samuel very quickly notices that all of John's cases have pretty much been children because they were easily impressionable, and he could just say whatever he wanted and control them. So sick the power of like authority and you know like, so so sick so uh, just a just a manipulative piece of shit that wanted his name out there and he used mm-hmm. kids to do it he uh it was declared all fraud john goes to prison but they even they offer him a condition where they say we will release you if you don't meddle anymore with like possessed people or like the people you think are possessed that like just like an easy fucking deal to take right like okay yep. <laughs> and and yet he full-on refused and he stayed no he's such an idiot his supporters however helped get him released and tried to help clear his name and maybe for like a second they were able to do that but in 1599 samuel harsnet the chaplain who was like investigating him yeah he publishes this like treaty that um I don't know if it's a tr- like a treaty like a law treaty. I think it's more like just like his own just book. like an announcement, like a and, uh, yeah, press release. It, it feels more like a book given the title. Um, oh, okay. It so basically he publishes this thing unveiling the whole investigation, and the reason I say I hope it's a book is because you know how older books loved a long title which is so wild they had to like hand write it like what wouldn't you make it as short as fucking possible like it's just what i, I can't like even with voice to text i try to keep things short and someone's writing for a robot's writing for me but like back then i just don't understand but okay i guess they like to hear themselves talk they certainly would you like to know the title i would, would you love like to would you like to guess how many words are in this title seven <laughs> okay <laughs> I'll start the tally as you go. <laughs> this is the title of Samuel Harsnett's personal publication. Ready? Mm-hmm. A discovery of the fraudulent practices of John Darrell, Bachelor of Arts, and his proceedings concerning the pr- the pretended possession and dispossession of William Summers of Nottingham, of Thomas Darling, the boy of Burton and Caldwell, and of Catherine Wright at Mansfield and Whittington, and of his dealings with one Mary Coop at Nottingham, detecting in some sort the deceitful trade in these latter days of casting out devils. I'm going to round up to 80 because I got halfway there. I got to 40 and then I was like, I'm never going to remember what number I'm on. I mean, holy shit, I've never heard anything like it. And not only like that you have to write that with your hand, but also with like a quill. Like, like yeah, there's no like ink. every other letter you have to get more ink. That's horseshit. Oh, what a pain. And then you spell one word wrong. You spell like Caldwell wrong and you're like, motherfucker. <laughs> I like, love that he had the odd, uh, like... A discovery of the fraudulent practices of John Darrell, Bachelor of Arts. Like, yeah, well, like, why? Like, why? I guess because it makes it seem more important. You couldn't even know. write BA? Like, come on. Yeah, right. <laughs> even we do that. <laughs> 
Oh man, it was just that was... crazy. I was really trying too, but I, I swear I got to 40 and was like, this is not going to happen for me. The worst part is this, the title's so damn long. I don't even know if I understood what it was about. Like it oh, was certainly I'm, not. I mean, I get it. Like if I sit here and read it, but just talking out loud about it, it was not processing. So that was too damn no. long. I was trying that to was a it, whole quote. It's not happening. No. So uh, that was in 1599. Samuel Harsnip puts that out about John Dar- uh, John Daryl. Okay. And a year later, John claps back. Oh, okay, okay. How many how many words? About the same. Oh, no. <laughs> oh he probably did one more just to flip it in. like 81 <laughs> words. Take that. So, this is the title of his publication. A detection of that sinful, shameful, lying, and ridiculous discourse of Samuel Harsnet, <laughs> entitled A Discovery of the Fraudulent Practices of John Darrell, wherein is manifestly and apparently shewed in the eyes of the world, not only the unlikelihood, but the flat impossibility of the pretended counterfeiting of William Summers, Thomas Darling, Catherine Wright, and Mary Cooper, together with other seven in Lancaster, and the supposed teaching of them by the said John Darrell. <laughs> I didn't even try to count that one. This Who is would? crazy. So now they're like having a feud. Uh, like, okay. Like all you have to do is like whatever a reporter was back then, like just put that sentence out. And like, it tells you enough about the, the publication without you ever having to have actually published anything. Yeah. I would like, say so. They could have both just said, I'm putting out a publication and it's about this. And then just left the title. Like, and then we and all I, get it. I feel like after reading that sentence, I'm like, I don't need to read the book. I already get it. We get it. We know know this is a pissing contest. Whatever. Yeah. So then he publishes a second book, and it's called A True Narration of the Strange and Grievous Vexation by the Devil of Seven Persons in Lancashire and William Summers of Nottingham. So it's shorter. but um, These are exhausting. So despite his attempts to justify all of his actions in these two pieces of literature, he was still, like, his reputation was ruined, and he moved out of England. Um, but when he moved out of England, because remember when he left prison, he, he wasn't going to leave if that meant he couldn't keep meddling. Right. So he moved away from England and kept getting into trouble, um, for, and he got caught for libel and false accusations again. And, um, ultimately he has gone down in history as the most famous fraudulent exorcist in England. Holy shit. I mean, it, it's a nice redemption arc for witches, right? Like, yeah. at least I feel like a little bit vindicated about it. Someone was trying at some point, even if it didn't last very long. Yeah. Like somebody had a little bit of sense, you know, for mm-hmm. once, which is yeah. uh, a rarity in your witchcraft stories. Love it. What a tale, Em. Um, Okay, well, I guess I guess it's my turn, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, so I am going to tell you a story today. Let me pull this up. It is a, a fucked up one. What else is new? Um, and it's one where, okay, so it takes place in Japan. So I feel like it might need, you don't need gargoyles, but I feel like you need to tell me if you're like, wait, explain okay. something, you know? Okay, I I'll, maybe I should bring them out anyway. You're blurry. Oh, hang on. Do you like this? Is that helping? I love reading your palm. Okay, for people who can read palms, what does this mean? I think we've done this before and nobody fucking responded. Or maybe they did. Why is that being that way? Hello? 
It'll pop back. It'll come back. Oh, yeah. I trust. Okay, there you go. Oh, you just got to compliment it. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, I'll bring the gargoyles out just in case. Okay, just in case. All right. So this is the story of Lucy Blackman, and I'll mention the documentary at the end. It's on Netflix, um, and it, it was really good and also troubling to watch in the middle of the night. So just be forewarned. Oh, so, in the middle of the night. Great. Okay. Yeah. So 21-year-old Lucy Blackman. She was the eldest of three children born to Tim Blackman and Jane Steer in England. So we're, we're in England. I don't know what town, but we're in England. <laughs> If it was when, Nottinghamshire, I'd I know. Be maybe away. it was. Maybe it was. When she was born, her father Tim said it transformed his life. Um, you know, this is just the classic. Uh, she had an energy that made people orbit her. She drew people in. She was like the the light in light people's of a lives. Room. Light, light of a of room. The room. She was the sort of person who had a kind word for everyone. She was fiercely independent, adventurous, and dreamed of traveling the world. So when she grew up, she became a flight attendant for British Airways. She was like, this would be a great way to travel. Good and I know. I was like, that's a kick-ass idea. And it was she was able to make her dreams come true. So in 2000, when Lucy was 21 years old, she decided to take a gap year and travel to Japan to live with her friend Louise Phillips. And she had always been interested in Japanese culture and was drawn to the country, so she jumped at the chance to experience it herself. Now, Lucy did not have a work visa, so she did what many young women like her did and started working as a hostess. Um, hostessing is not the same in this context in Japan as it is in the U.S., so I'll give a little oh. bit of uh, context here. She worked at a club called Casablanca in Roppongi, which is a part of Tokyo known at the time for for its wealth and like excess lavish lifestyle. Business people, especially in finance, would come to Tokyo from all over the world, and many of them would go to Roppongi clubs to unwind, and they would spend wild amounts of money on drinks, on entertainment, etc. And a former hostess named Susie, who also worked at Casablanca and, and knew Lucy, uh, described it as a small, unremarkable hostess club. And there's not really the equivalent in the West for what a hostess is, but it's pretty normal in Tokyo. Essentially, a hostess's job is to sit with visitors at the club, talk to them, make them feel welcome, and encourage them to spend more money on, like, top-shelf liquor or, you know, buy more food, buy more drinks. Like, there's nothing inherently sexual about it. Mm -hmm. it. It reminds me of, like, what an escort is, like, purely by definition of, like, uh, sort of being your companion. Sure. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. So that is what she did. And, again, like, this is not inherently a sexual thing or, like, a, a sketchy thing. It's just a normal cultural part of being in this part of Japan. So in 2000, many independent women who love traveling were drawn to a job like this as a hostess uh, because you could meet so many different people. You could make really good money. Um, and also it was fun to just like sit and talk with all these different people from all over the world. And you could make friends with the other hostesses who are usually in a similar uh, situation like Lucy, who didn't have a work visa. So Susie knew hostesses who could make $50 U.S. dollars an hour and You'd also make bonuses if patrons bought, like, expensive alcohol and, you know, uh, upgraded to the top shelf stuff. So this was a pretty good gig. Like, you made pretty good yeah, cash doing it. It feels swanky. It does, yeah. I think she only did it, like, three days a week and was able to 
make you know <laughs> okay girl off that. i know <laughs> i was very impressed so hostesses were also this is what uh Susie, who was interviewed in the documentary and also worked with lucy described as the dodgiest part of the job is that hostesses were sometimes encouraged to meet with club patrons outside of the club for mm. dinner dates. And that's kind okay. of a no-no like on the surface because that's not what this job is. But the lines are getting blurry, right? So they basically had you meet with club patrons for dinner dates and then they would eat together and then go to the club together. And Susie described it as the most dodgy part of the job, but she also said she never felt personally in danger. Um, okay. She said it could really be a simple, innocent job if you wanted it to be. So that is where Lucy was working. Unfortunately, on July 1st, 2000, Lucy went to her job as usual, but she never returned. Just vanished. Hmm. On July 2nd, a man, a random man, called her friend Louise that she was you know, there to live with and told Louise that Lucy had joined a cult and would never return. Bye. Oh, what? Okay. Yeah. Wow. Sharp turn. Sharp turn. And uh, Louise was like, what the fuck are you talking about? But Lucy had not come home. So she was like, well, I have to call her family. So she calls Lucy's family back in England. And Tim, her father remembers asking, how do you know she's gone missing? And Tim said, I don't know. Lucy's very skeptical. Uh, she's a good head on her shoulders. Like, I can't imagine she just, like, ran off and joined a cult without talking to me right. or talking to her family. It just doesn't make sense. But her friends are like, we have not seen her. She's not going to work. She's not answering the phone. So he knows something is wrong. Not not necessarily that she's in a cult, but that she's right. at least missing. That's fair. But I do know, like, if someone called me that I didn't know and they said, oh, Christine just joined a cult and left. First of all, I would be a little worried because I'd be like, yeah. what I did they bribe so. her with? What did they bribe her with that got her into that cult? Yeah. But at the <laughs> same time, I'd be like, if a person I don't know said this, I maybe it's because of our particular job. I don't know. Right. I would immediately assume that person is the criminal and is, like, trying to, like, very badly totally. cover up for themselves. Totally. Like, and what cult like calls you to be like, just checking in. You'll never see her again. Bye. And like, what, what cult calls themselves a cult? Like what? Like true. Would, what cult would be like, by the way, we're the cult. Um, um, Lucy has joined us. The best point that I've heard so far. Like who calls himself? What cult admits to being a cult outright? Yeah. <laughs> That's a great point. Em. So I'm not even stupid. So anyway. stupid. So you're onto it. Really stupid. So. Tim is immediately concerned that his daughter is missing. Uh, and once this has gone reported, the news of her disappearance didn't really take off in Japan the way it might have taken off as like a big headline story in the West. Um, it mainly spread among the foreign community, especially among women from Western countries, because, of course, they're hearing like someone just like you has vanished, you know. So police were pretty hesitant at first to consider foul play. Um, it, it was kind of a, a sticky situation because people without work visas would sometimes skip town, you know, quietly to avoid getting deported. Mm. And so they were like, well, you know, she didn't have a work visa. She might have tried to avoid trouble by skipping town. A crime reporter from the U.S. was assigned to Lucy's case because it involved a foreign woman. And he, even he at first thought, oh, she's probably just gone on a trip or left town without sure. telling anyone. 
So police spoke to Tim, Lucy's dad, to get a grasp on who Lucy was, her personality, and her habits. And it became pretty clear to them, like, this is not the type of person who's just bopping around without telling anybody. Like, she would have told her family if she was leaving the country. So Lucy's dad, Tim, immediately flew to Japan. And he took with him Lucy's younger sister, his other daughter, Sophie. So that is when the media starts to pick up the case. Because now her family is in Tokyo, like, pushing looking for, for her coverage and looking for her. As soon as they step off the plane, Tim is bombarded with cameras and microphones. He's very calm and collected. He's, he's very um, good about being on camera. And he tells them that the last time he spoke with Lucy, she said Tokyo was a nice city and she was having a good time. <laughs> sort of like the most vague, like, non-answer. Like, <laughs> yeah, everything's okay. The last I heard, everything was okay. Everything's fine. Right, exactly. She loves this wonderful place you call home. Okay, bye. Uh, and looking back, Tim said, like, some people thought I just loved being in the limelight. And he's like, which I'm like, fuck you to whoever says that. Okay, I'm yeah, sorry. But yeah. he said in that position, the position he was in, a person doesn't worry about the cameras or stage fright. You just get on with it because you're trying to find your child. Like, you'll get in front of any camera if you think it's going to help. Yeah. So Tim met with the police to ask questions about the investigation. And uh, he asked if they had checked security footage throughout the city. And CCTV at this point was pretty big in the UK, but definitely not in Japan. And I think my favorite part about this section, like this conversation he had with police, is that he said, like, oh, have you uh, reviewed the security footage? And they're like, we don't have security footage. That's a privacy violation. And he goes, we back in London have security camera on every street corner and they're all made in Japan. Like all oh, these cameras. Like think wait, about it. Wait, that's such a good point. I know. I was like, wait a second. <laughs> and wait, he said, like, they're all made in Japan, but you guys don't use them. And they're like, nope. So, you know, I guess they just export them to That's us. a fun fact. I don't think I would have even put that together. It never occurred to me. And like, you know, it's been almost 25 years since then. So I things probably have changed. But at the time, they were like, oh, no, <laughs> we don't do that. So, of course, this is like a letdown to Tim. Um, um, and he said there were pretty immediately cultural differences. The police said this, too. Like, Japan is known as being a very, at least, like, the trope or, like, the, the stereotype is that they're very polite, very straight-laced, very um, just just kind and uh, gentle people, like, as far as mm -hmm. manners go. And, you know, this guy, his daughter's missing. He's coming in. He's kind of brash. He's frantic. He's, like, Give yeah. me the he's frantic. He's emotional. And he's like, there was immediately, like, a cultural clash. But they were always really polite to him. Um, but a man did approach him and warned Tim, like, listen, it's going to be really hard to get a thorough investigation. Lucy's not a Japanese citizen. The police are probably not pursuing her case very strongly. And so Tim was like, you know what? I don't care anymore. I have to get the media's attention uh, like I would back home or like I would in the States. Yeah. So he does a press conference. He does this in Tokyo, and he's trying to raise awareness of Lucy's case to the public. And this was like a hugely attended press conference. Uh, Lucy's sister, Sophie, talked to the press, asking people to step up with any information they had that could bring her sister home. And 30,000 missing posters went up around Tokyo. Oh, my Police gosh. Police and Tim walked around with flyers, canvassing passersby in the street for information. Um, they are going, like, grassroots now because he's not convinced the police are going to take this seriously. Good for him. Damn. I know. He's, like, hardcore. 
So back in the UK, the media is all over this case. Uh, British media began running speculative headlines. And like, I know this is a stereotype I have, but I feel like when you hear like British tabloid, you just think of the most outrageous speculation and theories and that's at least how my mind works (laughs) just think of those tabloids i feel like i when i think of um british tabloids again this is another stereotype is that i feel like i hear it in like old english which i know is not accurate but i i hear it like i hear it like an old timey tabloid hither and thither hither and thither and i don't know why read all about it yeah yeah I don't know why. I wonder if it's because I just know that England's older than the U.S. or something. Maybe. I don't know. I have no Maybe idea you just why. think they're classier than us. I think of the trashy shit, like the really trashy, upsetting headlines they put out about, like, women's looks and weight and the royals. Like, there's just some fucked up stuff. They, That's I've interesting because I see it. I, I think of them as, like, overly, like, traditional posh, like old oh, English. Oh, no. Like, interesting. I mean. Different tropes. Yeah, I guess so. They, I mean, true point. They are different tropes. Um, so essentially, these tabloids begin running these crazy headlines um, saying like, oh, Lucy was trafficked in a sex ring because she's a white woman and they prize white women. Like, just very stereotypical racist shit, you know, mm-hmm. about why she disappeared in Japan. Um, saying like, oh, she was Jap- kidnapped by a Japanese religious cult. Like, they're just making shit up and people are eating it up. At least in people's the- eyes are on it. I don't know I mean, if it's yeah. good or bad. I don't Unfortunately, know. Unfortunately, like, it's not helpful back in the UK because, like, they want people in Japan to pay attention, but not, but people in the UK are just eating it up like, gossip you know so it's it's a little iffy um but in the end maybe you're right like maybe it was good that the media at least took it so far because the police in tokyo did launch a huge investigation and there were now roughly a hundred personnel involved um which is far larger than any case for a missing japanese citizen would usually receive so i don't know if that was a result of the media if it was because she was white i don't know what caused it but it did take off Okay. So investigators honed in on Rapongi, where the Casablanca Club was located, but they just kept like not finding any solid leads. And Tim was getting increasingly frustrated uh, with the police who were giving him absolutely zero updates. Like they would just say, oh, we'll let you know. And he's like, I need something like I need anything. You need to tell I, me something. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even be able to. I mean, no, no case would I be able to handle like wondering about someone I love, but to just be keep to keep getting hit with the we'll let you know, we'll let you know when you're Ugh. just like you can't sleep. That's you can't hard eat, enough you when you're think. like exactly when you're waiting on like a job or like a I don't know. Like what. we'll like let a, you know if the person you love the most in this world is alive or not. We'll let you know. Exactly. Like, eventually. What? Hurry up. And, <laughs> and I like it's I you know and it must be so hard because there's also that back and forth where like the police are like, well we have to follow our procedures but also there's this guy being like frazzled beyond anyone's wildest imagination trying to figure out with, where's my fucking with the daughter. type of with the type of stories you've told though i would even if i ever had to go through this in my life though i would now be paranoid that like what if they're not following procedures and they just don't like they just don't care like what if they just don't care yeah, it's I feel like that is such especially if they're not telling you anything, then you're like, well, maybe they don't care. Maybe they just don't give a shit. And maybe it's, they it, totally care, but I'll still read it as like if yeah. if you cared, you'd be working harder and then I'd have answers faster, yeah, you'd which have is answers. like 
it's like a lose-lose situation. The desperation of it all. Exactly. And and part of the reason, actually, that they withheld information from him is because he was constantly on TV mm. and he was trying to get this case. And they were so worried that he would, like, slip up and say something sensitive, like something that investigators didn't want leaked, you know? And so they were also trying to tread carefully, being like, we don't want to tell you everything because you're going to – we don't want you to blast it out to the media, you know? So yeah. there's – Kind of a push and pull there. Um, but now two weeks have gone by since her disappearance. Tim is still in Japan and he feels the attention on Lucy slipping away. So he keeps making these TV appearances. Um, he's trying desperately to get uh, to keep it in the headlines. So while visiting Japan, Tony Blair, the UK prime minister at the time, ended up stopping in Tokyo to do a press conference and speak to police about Lucy's case. And he actually even met with the Japanese prime minister who promised that they would catch Lucy's abductor. And this was like blasted out to the media. But the police are like, you can't promise that. Like, we don't like. (laughs) So I imagine they're fucking frustrated, too, because like the prime minister's like, we'll catch him. And the police are like, what do you mean? We like you're not doing jack shit, you know? It's like you're making promises <laughs> that we can't necessarily keep. For the, sens- for the sensationalism of it, though, it's like, oh, okay, now we're getting aggressive. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's true. And also it did push them into action because they were like, there was so much fucking pressure from the media, you know, and from now the prime minister, who's now promised Tony wow. Blair, like, we're on it, you know? So there's just <laughs> a lot of uh, chaotic energy happening around this case. So the detectives, like, just to give you an example of how they were feeling, one of them said it was easy for him to say that, but that didn't mean it was easy for us to do. Because I I feel like it's a tough thing to just throw that out there and then, like, go home and let the police handle it. It's not really fair. So with the prime minister and the whole world now, like, putting pressure on them, new detectives are assigned to the case. And one officer referred to these detectives as soft-shell turtles because once they bite a lead, they never let go, which is apparently something soft-shell turtles do. I've never – is it an insult? Is it a compliment? Is it – That's the best part. It's a fun fact. (laughs) I've never – the soft shells that's like me talking about that stupid fucking maryland blue crab i feel like we're, we're oh covering God, a lot right. of anim- a lot of animals today a lot of vague yeah. animals yeah we're soft getting some turtle. weird ideas for squishable you know squishmallow um so yeah they they basically said like i think it was meant almost as an insult but like as like a polite insult which uh, again this is striking me as a very japanese t- trope of like yeah well this you is remind how you're, me you're of you're this animal like a turtle, yeah so <laughs> the turtle is like that the- the turtle's like the nicest thing to be like yeah. compared to in an angry state. I would say I would be like, oh, thank you. I would be taken aback. I'd be like, oh, wow. Um, so the new action team decided to start from square one. They spent nights poring over past investigation notes to see if anything had been missed or, or skipped over or, you know, if they could just f- basically like how people nowadays go over cold cases like just going through all the old notes of the investigators from before and that is when they notice a note in here and it was actually they had talked to a club manager who said one of his hostesses had been drugged and possibly raped by a client holy shit 
And apparently uh, this club manager described this to police saying, yeah, apparently this this guy, he invited one of my uh, hostesses on a drive to the seaside and she woke up hours later with a pounding headache and had no memory of the day um, and she thought she was drugged. But the original detectives got this information, but then were like, I don't know, this manager seems unreliable. So they just like got rid of it, like just put it aside. Oh, man. The new detectives are like, what the fuck? Like, this is a big lead. We're going to follow up with this club manager. So they do. And they find out that many hostesses had the exact same fucking story. (gasps) But they hadn't reported this to police because a lot of them didn't have visas or, you know, they were the ones who were going to get arrested or in trouble. I mean, this is like we've seen this Mm -hmm. time and time again in the U.S. too. Uh, And they didn't want to be deported, especially if they didn't have anywhere else to go. And so with more encouragement, several hostesses bravely came forward and agreed to go on record with their experiences, which must have been just very, very traumatizing. And they all told the same fucking story, that this man with an expensive car invited them to dinner by the ocean and they were all drugged and they didn't (gasps) know what happened. Wow. So all the exact same story. Exact same story. So now police realize there has been a predator in Rapongi for years targeting women in vulnerable legal positions who he knew couldn't make a report or, or would be uncomfortable doing so. Interesting. Okay. So at this point, Lucy has been missing for 52 fucking days. And Tim is like... <gasps> days? Oh, my days. God. Yes. Oh, my God. 52 days. And he's beginning to feel so powerless. He... He's like, I don't know how to keep this in the media. So what he does is he does another press release and he offers 1.5 million yen, which is about $10,000 uh, wow. reward for information leading to Lucy. So, you know, stories are picking up again and uh, 10 more days go by. And it's about this time Lucy's mom, Jane, and Lucy's brother, Rupert, publicly release, I think it was 1,200 balloons to, into the sky to celebrate Lucy's 22nd birthday. Oh, my God. That's just so, so sad. fucking sad. And every time I heard it, I was like, that is so young. Like, 22 is so little. Yeah. It's just horrifying. So she said she wanted them to be a message to Lucy wherever she is. We haven't forgotten her. Um, but more and more weeks go by before another major break comes through in the case. An Australian woman named Jessie reaches out to police and says she has the name and phone number of this fucking suspect. (gasps) Wow. Okay. That's a pretty, that's some red hot info. Red hot info. She said, I too was his victim and I had written his name down and his phone number down in a notebook. And this notebook is back at home in Australia. So police call her dad and are like FedEx that shit right now. So they like overnight, I'm assuming, express ship this journal to Tokyo police from Australia and they are able to (laughs) open it up and look at where she wrote the name and phone number. And apparently she had been so angry about this incident, obviously, that she had like scribbled out the name and phone number, but they were able to hold it up like to a window to the light and make out- Yes, I know, because that would have been I was, so I was, devastating. I was really holding it in. I was like, please, please, please. That would be <laughs> such a Christine move of me. Like, we overnighted it. We got the information. Just kidding. No. Yeah, it's ripped out out of anger. <laughs> right out. So, thankfully, they were able to still read it. Uh, and 
his name on the paper was Yuji Honda, which they believed was an alias. But the phone number, they looked that up, and it was still active and registered to the same person. So they pull these phone records, and they find out that one of the numbers this phone number had called was Lucy. <gasps> so they're like, this must be the same fucking guy. She ding, at ding, least ding. knew this guy. So... They used the phone to triangulate his location, and obviously they didn't have Find My Phone back in 2000, um, but they were able to use, like, cell phone towers like we've seen in those crime shows uh, to pinpoint where he would be. And they found out that he most likely lived in a place called Akasaka Tower, which was an expensive apartment building in Tokyo where very wealthy people lived. It was known for being very she-she, as M would say. Mm Mm-hmm. So the apartment manager said, oh, well, (laughs) there's two rooms on the sixth floor being rented by this weird guy. And they're like, okay, well, that sounds right down our alley. Let's look into him. He's like, how Um, convenient we're looking for a weird guy. A weird guy. Yes, precisely. So this apartment manager said, yeah, he works for a business called P. O'Hira. And they had never heard of it. And then the manager said, oh, by the way, he has a bunch of fancy cars. So oh. they go down to the garage and take a look at like it's all like Porsches, Lamborghinis, Mercedes, and they're looking at all these cars. And apparently, the cars he owned were matched up exactly to all the ones the victims had said he drove them in. <gasps> so they'd said, "Oh, he picked me up in a Lamborghini and drove me here." And then the other one said, "Oh, he picked me up in a Porsche and drove me here." And police were like, "Oh, he owns all those cars. So this is the same fucking guy. He just owns multiple cars." amazing okay yes so they're they're on it uh they unfortunately did not have enough evidence for a warrant yet but pretty soon i know i know (laughs) that's not how it works in my mind get in there you know (laughs) (laughs) hop on in take some fingerprints i don't know um but yeah they did not quite have enough evidence for a warrant until another woman i just feel like this is such like a strong women-centric episode Another woman comes forward. Her name is Monica. She's from England. And three years earlier in 1997, she had met with who she thought was the same man. And he had driven her to a resort apartment with a view of the ocean half an hour from Tokyo with palm trees. And the investigators were like, that's this fucking apartment building. No doubt. She had also been drugged. So when police went with her to the resort, she recognized it, but she couldn't quite remember which building it was, you know, which floor it was. She couldn't remember the details. So they are walking around trying to canvas people in the area, and they show a photo of Lucy to uh, a waitress at a restaurant at this apartment building. And this woman's like, oh, I recognize her. She was here on July 1st. That was literally the day she went missing. And they said, was she alone? And he said, and the waitress said, nope, she was with a man. So they're like, yep. fuck, that's, do it. that's that's our guy. So detectives got a list of names of all the people living at the resort to go through one by one. But their suspect's name wasn't there. And they were like, he gave an alias. So how on earth do we figure out which one of these people it is? Well, they find the residents with multiple expensive luxury cars and <laughs> narrow down their search. A listing came up for P. O'Hira, which turns out to not be a business at all. It was actually a name. And the Japanese kanji, which, by the way, kanji, um, I don't know if you know this. I had to look it up. Do you know what kanji is? Is that a type of food? Uh, nope. I mean, 
I, I know a restaurant called that, but um, oh, okay. traditionally kanji means it's a system of Japanese writing using Chinese characters. Oh, so it's okay. like a, a form of a form of uh, like f- the written word. And so the Japanese kanji for P Ohira could also be read as Obara. And they're able to put all this together and realize this guy's name is Joji Obara. And when they're looking him up on his record, they discovered he had been arrested before for sneaking into women's restrooms and taking photos of women <gasps> as they used the bathroom. Ooh. What the fuck? Ooh. So a mugshot was faxed to them. Um, it was pretty low quality, but they put it amongst 99 other photos. So there were 100 photos. They showed them to Jesse, Jesse and Monica. Uh, Jesse's the Australian victim and Monica's the English one. And immediately they're like, that's him right there. And apparently they, ding, they ding, fucking ding. recognized him immediately. And the, the weird part too was that like in the photo, his eyes are like closed and he's like looking down because apparently when they tried to take his mugshot, he kept turning around mm. and they're like, fucking stand there and let us take your mugshot. And he like, wouldn't let them. So weird. Like such a fucking child. It's like he knew I, or something like he, or... yeah. He's like, I don't want my face out there, you know? Mm. So, it's just a sicko. So detectives uh, couldn't quite link him strongly to Lucy yet. It was just that witness who had seen them together and then the phone records. But they decided to at least arrest him for the rape allegations from the other women. They move in on his apartment at 6 a.m. And Lucy at this point has been missing for 103 days. <gasps> oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, my God. At this point, I, I would have assumed that she's not here anymore. Yeah, you know, I, I mentioned this later, but her dad said up until the very end, he hoped he was holding on to hope that she was still alive, which is just so fucking horrible when cases like this don't go sol- don't get solved. And people just live with that constant like threat of hope. Like no closure, nothing. Yeah. And your brain is like, oh, I think the worst has happened. But you want to believe that like they could come back. It's just horrible. It's horrible. So it's been 103 days, um, and this guy was known for walking out the door a little before 7 a.m. to go pick up a newspaper. So they waited outside, and a little before 7, he walked out, and they arrested him. He went calmly with them, surrendered immediately, and they were able to obtain some more information about this guy. So apparently, Obara was a property mogul who inherited a lot of money from his father. He owned multiple properties. And of course, the police are like, all right, give us the fucking keys. We're searching them. Mm-hmm. So um, this is very upsetting. So they go through his properties and they are finding all sorts of weird shit. They find notebooks where he is writing these strange entries about how he is has decided to become evil. And what? He's decided to devote his life to evil acts. Uh what in the just world? So disturbing. Then Ew, they discovered okay. a series of VHS tapes. Oh shit. Yeah. And I I mean massive trigger warning here folks like this is really hard stuff so they find all these vhs tapes that are labeled with women's names (gasps) oh oh and he was drugging them yeah so okay they find 400 of these tapes oh my god wow that took my breath away 100 400 obara had drugged and raped hundreds of women and he had recorded all of it 
So they're going through these and, of course, are looking for Lucy or any familiar names. They do not find one of Lucy. Okay. Investigators now had to go through and watch the tapes one by one. Okay. They were trying to identify as many of the women as possible and ask if they would go on record as well about what happened to them. Mm. Obara insisted it was all consensual. Please. And apparently, I, I, without without question, that's not true. No, without question. And one detective even said, "I was dealing with a person who had an extremely warped view of reality." Mm-hmm. So, of course, when women from these tapes were contacted, a lot of them didn't even know they had been raped. They knew something scary had happened. They knew potentially that they were drugged, or maybe they didn't even know they were drugged, and they thought they had eaten something bad. But essentially, it was very, very traumatic for them to have to watch videos of themselves in this mm-hmm. position and, you know, talk about what had happened or or identify themselves in the videos. And several of the women said, that's not me. Like, they just couldn't face couldn't that, which yeah. I, don't bel- I don't blame them for a second. It's like, <laughs> you're just living your day and the police are like, hey, come watch this. I mean, it must just be so mind warping i don't know to like see that video and not have memory of it and it's very traumatizing Mm. so many of them did identify themselves in the videos and um this really helped to build a case against obara thank god um several detectives actually had to leave the team because they were too upset by the content of the tapes like they were watching the tapes and they were too traumatized and couldn't couldn't continue Mm. um in the videos, the women's faces were often draped with a cloth, and they realized he was soaking this cloth in chloroform <gasps> and then laying it on their faces. Oh my and god! Keeping them unconscious. Oh my god! One detective that- noticed a woman's hand twitching violently despite her being unconscious, and he recognized this twitching as a symptom of chloroform poisoning. Holy shit! Oh my god! So he pursues this further. He's like, I got to find out who this woman is and see what happened. So he finds out this is Clarita Ridgway. And in 1992, she had been living in Tokyo working as a hostess while her sister taught English. But one day she disappeared. Then a man dropped her off at the hospital saying she had food poisoning and then just like fucking piecing out. And after a few days, she went into organ failure and she died. Oh, my God. And there was no autopsy performed, no investigation, because hospital staff thought she genuinely had food poisoning. But they did keep a sample of her liver. And so now, in 2000, several years later, they're able to find traces of chloroform in her liver from all the way back then. Holy shit. So they are officially indicting Obara now for abduction and manslaughter on behalf of Clarita. But still, they are, like, not finding information on Lucy. She's not on any of the tapes, which my guess is that he saw all this in the media and was like, well, I'll get rid of those tapes. Oh, yeah, Nobody needs to see those. And Obara was insisting he had nothing to do with her disappearance. But he did admit that he had met her the week before she disappeared. So they're like, "Mm -hmm, likely story. Obara uh, was apparently a collector who had a hard time throwing things away, and detectives were able to use this to their advantage because he kept receipts from everything. Mm. So they were able to like construct an entire timeline of all of his days all the way back to July 1st. 
And they found out on July 1st that at 3 p.m. he met with Lucy and they went to the usual ocean resort where he always took his victims. Yep. They had lunch. And then at 5 p.m. they returned to his apartment. And that Damn. was the last time Lucy was ever seen alive. So late at night on July 2nd, he drove back to Tokyo, and on July 4th, he bought a chainsaw, cement, <gasps> and a tent, like a portable tent. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Then he went to another apartment, and a neighbor that night made a noise complaint coming from that apartment. So unfortunately, detectives were forced to make the conclusion that he had taken this saw and dismembered Lucy's body mm -hmm. in one of his apartments and then had abandoned her remains somewhere. But all they have is circumstantial evidence, like a receipt saying he bought a saw, you know. So right. they're, they're trying to find real proof that Lucy has been killed. And so they begin digging around his apartment, searching the water near the beach. Um, and of course, the apartment management does not like that there's a murder investigation going on at their building, uh, especially because it's like a high, you know, high class establishment. So they keep pressuring police to hurry up. And so once again, police are like rushing and trying to figure out what they can find. And 223 days since Lucy disappeared, <sighs> they made a discovery. Ooh. One of the detectives was walking along the coast from the apartment and came across a cave. He stepped inside, having a, a gut feeling that something was amiss, uh, and he saw carnivorous bugs. Carnivorous uh, bugs? Yeah, like as in maggots. Oh, I see. And he's basically like, that means... Mm -hmm. something has died and so he begins digging in the sand until he finds the edge of a portable tent and inside the tent they found lucy's body oh my god and he, how did they figure out about this cave he just stumbled upon it literally they're just canvassing the whole beach area by where he lives by his apartment Wild. building yeah and uh it took a long time they canvassed the water they looked all over the place but this one detective happened to stumble upon this cave and and noticed the the bug activity so one of the reporters who had gotten pretty close to lucy's dad tim during the investigation called him to let him know police had discovered a body they believed to be lucy um which was just a very shattering moment for her dad mm -hmm. Um, 20 minutes later, a translator for the Japanese police also contacted Tim to inform him that they had discovered these remains and that the dental records were a match confirming this was Lucy. Oh, shit. And like I said earlier, Tim said, I was hopeful all the time right through to that moment. So it was almost like now he has to finally face that she's not coming home. You right. know. So Obara was brought to trial. He was charged with abduction, rape resulting in death, and the disposal of Lucy's body. He was also charged with rape resulting in the death of Karita Ridgeway. Now, what is pretty tragic about this is that of his estimated 400 crimes, there was only enough evidence to charge him with eight. <gasps> oh, my God. That's on only Think eight. Think about the victim, like the number. It's Oh, my God. Think of the 392 bodies out there that, like, still don't have closure or their families don't have closure. Well, no. So these are just the, the rape victims. They're not all dead. Oh, 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 oh thank God. Karita Ridgeway is the only one oh my God. who... Because a lot of them came forward and said, like, hey... Right. No, my brain just made it worse. That's all. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. no. A lot of them, I would say, 
her death was most likely, I mean, I don't know, but I think the theory is that she was one of the first deaths. No, like he wasn't trying to kill her. It was just like, just like Karita Ridgeway where he dropped her off at the hospital was like food poisoning because he overdosed her on chloroform. Like they, I think the theory is because he had been doing this for hundreds of people. He's bringing them back, drugging them, raping them, dropping them back off. So what they think happened is that this was an accident on his part. And he, you know, what's wild though, is how many people also might have died from chloroform poisoning or something. And he didn't even know. That's exactly it. We don't even know. That's a good point. Like you don't know. If they're, if any of, especially if they couldn't identify the other, say, 300 people or even 100 of them, you don't know if they're okay. You don't know if they know this happened. You don't know if they, like, subconsciously are traumatized or, like, outwardly yeah. traumatized. I mean, yeah, it's, it's horrific. The number is just shocking. So they only had enough evidence to charge him with eight of these rapes. He received a life sentence for the eight charges of rape and for the death of Clarita Ridgway. But on all charges involving Lucy, he was found not guilty. What? I Why? What? They, I don't they, know. They, they just they could not give... come to a conclusion on it and said there's too much doubt. And Too much uh, doubt? Name a doubt. What are we talking about? I know. Doubt. I know. Okay. Heartbreaking. So in a post-sentencing press conference, Tim said, Lucy's life was not in vain. Lucy brought justice to Corita Ridgway and the eight other rape victims who bravely came forward to support the case. Detectives spent several years strengthening their case and evidence. And thankfully, in 2007, they were able to file an appeal. And in 2008, Obara was finally found guilty of dismembering and abandoning Lucy's body, rendering his he had been sentenced to life in prison now that he was found guilty of dismembering and abandoning lucy's body his life imprisonment is irreversible so there's no 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 chance of parole i guess is what okay. that probably means Whew, okay well okay it it came later but i'm glad it happened I, I know it took them years to like build up another build up a case for the appeal but they did thankfully so lucy's mother jane told the press i think justice has been done And finally, the Blackman family had some sort of closure. And although Obara wouldn't be held individually responsible for every woman he hurt, which, again, was so many, uh, he would never be able to hurt one again. So, you know, there was that at least sliver of, I don't know, what do you call it, a silver lining, uh, Mm. sort of. So Tim said, despite the grief of losing his daughter, Lucy left such an impact on her family's lives. Um, He said, those feelings are very pure and untainted by hatred and anger and all the rest of it because I kept all that out of Lucy's memory. So he is able to almost compartmentalize that so that Lucy's memory is kept happy in his mind. Father of the year. I was going to say, that seems like very difficult. I'm, I don't know. I'd be, I'd struggle with that for sure. Um, so there is a little bit of drama surrounding the family. Uh, Lucy's parents had gotten divorced several years before her disappearance, and there was a lot of tension uh, between the parents during the investigation. And apparently Jane got very upset when her ex-husband accepted um, a condolence payment. So essentially there's this thing you're allowed in the Japanese law legal system. It's a payment called a condolence payment, and you can use this as a tool 
for the dependent to express remorse in hopes of getting a lighter sentence. But this money wasn't from Obara. It was from his friend from school, huh? like a college friend. And this okay. guy felt so guilty that he offered 100 million yen, which is $680,000, to Tim. And Tim took the money, and his ex-wife was not happy about that she called it blood money she said i do not like that he's accepting payments mm -hmm. on behalf of this guy who murdered our daughter um yeah. but then the other side of that she called it obscene the other side of that uh is tim said you know i'm using this to pay off the debts while i was living in japan for all those months and uh support her siblings you know who have so much grief and need so much healing um, and also he used some of the money to establish a trust in Lucy's name to provide crisis support for people who go missing abroad and for their families. So, you know, okay. at least something good came good. of this yeah. money. Um, but again, Jane and other family members called it blood money, called it obscene, were deeply upset that Tim had accepted it. So there's definitely some tension there. Um, there was just so much, I, I imagine, so much pain and grief in the wake of losing Lucy that the tension that I assume already existed considering they had gotten divorced relatively recently was just like ratcheted up like yeah, several yeah, notches. Totally. So it was very difficult obviously for the family to move on. Um, unfortunately, one of Lucy's family members attempted suicide uh, due to the mm. overwhelming grief. But today most of Lucy's family lives uh, pretty quiet lives, pretty private. Um, this 2023 Netflix documentary that I was talking about is is very thorough, very good. But the only person uh, who really gets involved in the documentary is Lucy's father. Um, and he speaks about his side of the ordeal. And you do see Jane, Sophie and Rupert, but they only show up in like press clippings from the time of the investigation. They did not participate in okay. the actual making of the documentary. Mm -hmm. So in the documentary, one of the detectives on Lucy's case uh, said that he traveled to England in 2010 to visit Lucy's grave because it had had such an impact on him, this case. Wow. And while he was there, he stopped to see her mom, Jane, and she made him tea and they have a photo together. It's very sweet. Aww. And apparently once a year for about 20 years now, the detectives, a group of them, goes to the spot by the sea, that cave where they found Lucy and they light incense and pray uh, as a way to appease her spirit and to pray she rests in peace. Mm. So that is the case of Lucy Blackman. Wow. I wanted to ask earlier, do you know if there was, um, uh, I think there was a Law & Order episode about this. Oh, probably. I feel like ripped from the headlines. I feel like they take the stories. It I, wouldn't I surprise th me. I think it was also the the year, like a year after it happened. I I. But a lot of it sounded familiar. But Lucy Blackman, Law and Order. It was a... and I also want to say the name, um, name of the documentary real quick. Uh, it's called "Missing: The Lucy Blackman Case," and it came out this year, twenty twenty three. So it's pretty recent. Where, where is it? Is it on um, Netflix? Netflix. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Wow, I um, God, I was really hoping in the end she was gonna have somehow survived. I know but... it's really. It's really tragic, um, and to just uncover such a dark. Well, also thank God the, the, that the dad was so, I know, vigilant about this because they ended up finding out what happened to four hundred women. Exactly, you know? like they uncovered such a dark, dark crime spree. This guy was on. 
that would have, as we know, just gone on and on and on until he got caught. Oh, yeah. So really, I mean, obviously so many women were deeply traumatized when they had to watch this video. A lot of the detectives who had to watch it were deeply troubled by it. It's just very, uh, very upsetting. Um, So again, you know, there's nothing graphic in the um, documentary, but just proceed with caution, you know, make sure you're in the right headspace, I guess I would say. Yeah. Wow. Good storytelling, Christine. Woofa doofa. I mean, one of these days I'll cover a happy one. Probably not. I feel like in in this amount of time, I think you've only covered maybe three or four happy stories. Oh, <laughs> uh, and one of them was like a fake one about you. Yeah, okay. exactly. <laughs> oh well, what was my name in that? Oh, oh my God, we got to remember. Um, uh, so Cletus. Cletus. <laughs> Stupid. <sighs> All right. Stupid. Well, from Cletus to the Hersene Shifter, uh, I hope everyone has a good week uh, and. Yes. Uh, we'll we'll see you next week uh, for another episode of Christine bumming us out and me trying my best. So I'll be there. And that's why we drink. <laughs>